Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. We're continuing to go through the Ten Commandments, focusing on the commandments now that teach us how to interact with our neighbors. And of course, remember our neighbor is anyone around us, especially those in need of our mercy and our help. quickly review the commandments that we have talked about so far. We're going in order using the numbering for the commandments that we find in a book called The Small Catechism written by a man named Martin Luther back in the 1500s. So the first commandment that he had listed there was, you shall have no other gods. The second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day. Fourth commandment, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. <laughs> Fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. And the eighth commandment? Remember for each of these commandments that deal with our neighbors, we are, we're going to state the general principle or category of life that that commandment addresses. And then we're going to look at other places in the Bible that make some specific applications to that general category. And the general category for the eighth commandment is reputation reputation. Back in the second commandment, remember I asked you, what do you think of when I say the following names? And I asked you, what do you think of when you say Abraham Lincoln, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Adolf Hitler, Cookie Monster, <laughs> God? Um, what you thought of was their reputation. Whatever your answer was, that was the reputation. You associated a reputation with that particular name. A name really represents a person's reputation. It's what you know about them. The second commandment, we talked about God's reputation when it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And this is really what the eighth commandment deals with, but not with God's reputation, with how we protect our neighbor's reputation, how we protect the reputations of the people around us. The eighth commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, helping our neighbor with their reputation. So two general principles to start out here with the Eighth Commandment beyond the one general principle of this deals with the reputation. And Proverbs 22 says, says this. It says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Having a good name, a good reputation is more desirable than having lots and lots of money, basically. You know who knows that? Well, what do you think of when I say the name Richard Nixon? For a large percentage of people, whatever you thought of was not good. Richard Nixon was president of the United States and he had to resign from being president because he was caught doing some illegal things. And despite all the good things that he has done over the course of his life, despite all the many good things he did while he was in the office of the president, the good things aren't what people remember about him most often. They remember the one bad thing. A person can hurt their reputation very quickly on their own without us, without us even helping. I once saw a picture of a, of a balloon. It was an inflated balloon and it had the word reputation on the balloon. And it has, you know, a reputation. And then it said a reputation that took years to build can, can pop in a single instance. A person has the ability to ruin their own reputation pretty quickly. And we want to help them keep 
a good reputation. The second general principle that not only does a person, an individual have the ability to destroy their own reputation pretty easily, but we can hurt the reputation of others pretty easily as well. Back in 2009, um, a news story st suddenly started flashing all over all the, all the media outlets. A news story that a young boy, must have been about six years old at the time, a young boy was trapped in a homemade hot air balloon that his father was an inventor of some sorts. And, and he made a hot air balloon and the story was that, uh, that, the, that the boy had climbed into the hot air balloon without his dad knowing and it went up into the air and the dad lost the ability to control it. And so it was just floating wherever the wind was going to take it. And then eventually this hot air balloon, it came down to the ground and, and it crashed. And so the authorities who had been following the hot air balloon, they went to where it was when it crashed looking for the boy who had climbed inside but he wasn't there. They eventually found him in his house, hiding in a closet or an attic or, you know, or something like that, but, but he was home. He, he never climbed in the air, hot air balloon. And, and it seems that his dad, who knew that he had never climbed in the, air, in the hot air balloon, he made it up. The, um, the line of thinking was is that he he wanted to be a celebrity, the dad. He wanted to end up on some reality television show. And so he made up this story about his son being you know, flying off so that he would get some publicity, some publicity out of it. Um, but the boy, was, the boy was okay. He was fine. No damage done, right? Not quite. That was back in 2009. Uh, even if you, for those who were alive at the time and who remember that happening, if you say the phrase balloon boy, they know exactly what you're talking about. That's the balloon boy. And that's something that that boy has to live with. It's not part of his reputation that he is the balloon boy. Not because he did anything wrong, not because he actually climbed in the balloon, but because his dad did something that at least impacted his reputation. Not everybody does that type of thing to impact another reputation, but it's an illustration of how something that somebody else can do to you or a way that somebody else can treat you or something that someone else says about you can stick with your reputation for a very, very long time, though you don't want that to happen. And we can do that for others in at least three ways that the Bible identifies. We can hurt someone else's reputation in at least three ways. One of them is by, by telling lies about another person. We see this in the book of Genesis with Joseph. Joseph had been sold by his brothers. He, he went off and his brothers never thought they would see him again. And um, lots of family dysfunction going on there. And he was suffering on account of it. But Joseph continued to trust God and he continued to work really, really hard. And he was working for a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar loved Joseph. He was a great worker. He was faithful. He, was, he, he made things better around the house. But someone took notice of Joseph. Joseph was a young man and he was a good looking young man. And Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and started making advances on him and said, Joseph, hey, nobody's looking. Why don't we go to the back room and get to know each other a little bit better? And Joseph said, no. He said, no, that's not right. She kept trying. He said, no, no, he said, that would be a sin against God. That would be a sin against your husband. Let's, we, we shouldn't even be talking about this or thinking about it. One time he was just very forceful with it, with his words and said, there's no way I'm ever going to do this. And that made Potiphar's wife very, very upset. She went back to her husband and you know what she told her husband? Joseph started making advances towards me. This guy that you hired, oh, I don't feel safe around him. He's not respecting our marriage. And because of the lie that she told about Joseph, Potiphar threw Joseph in prison. 
she told a lie and it hurt his reputation. And it led to some consequences. And that's, uh, that's one way that we can hurt other people. There's a word for that. It's called, it's called slander. Slander is one of our Bible buzzwords. Slander is telling lies about someone in order to cause others to think less of them. Telling lies about someone in order to cause others to think less of that person. Slander is sharing things that aren't true about another person in order to get others to think less of them. But it's also possible to break the Eighth Commandment by sharing things that are true. There's a word for that. That word is gossip. A gossip is someone who says something bad about another person behind that person's back, even if it's true, in order to cause others to think less of that person or more of themselves. I added that last part because you know what, you know what I'm talking about there? When you have some juicy info on someone and you're with your buddies and the conversation has died down a little bit and you're thinking, oh, I want to look good in front of these people. I know something they don't. I want them to think that I'm in the know. So I'm going to take this news, whatever it is, whether or not it's true, and I'm going to share this news so that they think that I am such a good person who knows so many things about other people. That's a, that's a gossip. We see that in the Bible. The Apostle Paul is addressing that, helping Timothy address that as he's ministering to his congregation. You know, Timothy was dealing with something like that in his ministry, which is why Paul wrote, uh, giving specific instructions to different groups of people. He spoke to some young women who had gotten into the habit of gossiping. He says, they've gotten in the habit of being idle and they go around from house to house and they just, they just chit-chat. Not only do they, are they idle and they're not doing anything productive with their lives, but, but they're also busybodies, he said, who, who talk nonsense, saying things that they ought not to about other people, about things that are going on. They were gossiping about other things. And Paul said, you gotta, you gotta stop that. You can find any number of real life examples. I recently heard one about a, about a neighborhood it was pretty, a pretty tight-knit neighborhood. Somebody new moved into the neighborhood and, and, uh, and, and, and they happened to be driving down the street and one of the, one of the neighbors ended up confronting them, saying all sorts of ugly, hurtful, racist things about that, about that neighbor, not knowing that they were a neighbor. But the person who said those things was really, really harsh. And everybody went back to their homes. A few people heard what had happened and and it was obvious after just a couple of hours and then a couple of days that all the neighbors had been talking about it. And so someone in the neighborhood started, when he started hearing about this from the neighbors, he asked, well, did you go and talk to the person who said the hurtful things? And none of them had, but they were talking about it to everybody but that person. They, um, they were gossiping, they were gossiping. But a third way that we can hurt somebody else's reputation um, not just slandering them or, or gossiping about them, but we can also hurt their reputation by betraying a confidence. Proverbs chapter 11 says, a trustworthy person keeps a secret. There are times in life when somebody entrusts you with a secret, like something that they don't want to entrust to everybody, but they trust you. And holding on to that secret is a way that we help them keep their reputation. We, uh, we honor, we honor that. We, we don't betray the confidence that they've given to us. This, uh, this makes me think of, and in some churches still, and used to be in more churches, they used to have the confessional booth where they would have the priest or the pastor sitting on one side of the booth and then there was a wall with, uh, with just you know, a little bit of the wall broken up or um, a little grate between or something. But somebody else, then somebody would sit on the other side and they would come in and they would confess their sins to the pastor or the priest, the sins that they were troubled with, the sins that, they need, about which they need to hear that they were forgiven by Jesus. 
But imagine how it would go for that pastor or that priest if the individual sat down, confessed things that were on their heart, really ugly things. And then if that pastor or priest, you know, yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay, okay, you're forgiven. And, you know, and then the pastor or priest left and went and told all of his buddies exactly what had been confessed to him. I don't know that that pastor or priest would be seen as a very trustworthy spiritual resource from then on. But, but people can do that without being a pastor or a priest all the time. People trust you with different things and, and God expects you to keep that, to keep that trust. So three ways that we can ruin a person's reputation or at least contribute to ruining a person's reputation. Slander, gossip, betraying a confidence are ways that we can break the commandment, ways that we can keep the commandment. We see an example of that in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And there are three main players in this section you need to know of. You need to know of Saul, who was the king, David, who was anointed to be the next king, and Jonathan, who was the son of the current king, Saul. Saul did not like David for any number of reasons. He would talk harshly about him. He would come after him, even try to kill him. Um, not a great relationship there. Jonathan, however, became very good friends with David. And at one point, as Saul was coming after David again, Jonathan spoke up. He spoke up to his father and he said, don't do this. David's good. He's a good man. He defended him. He spoke well of him. Even though there was maybe some risk in it for Jonathan, wondering, if I speak well of David in front of my dad who hates David, is my dad going to do something to me that's going to be kind of hurtful, painful? He didn't care. He saw an opportunity to defend somebody else who was not being defended and who needed defending. And he stepped in. And that's one way that we can break or that we can keep the Eighth Commandment, to defend others and speak and speak well of them. Which means that this is... Um, this brings up another way that we can break this commandment. If we see somebody who is being treated harshly or being spoken down to on, on the playground or, or at work or, or on social media, and if we don't say anything, we can break the Eighth Commandment by saying nothing. God expects us to say something, to defend those, especially those who are having trouble defending themselves. Another way that we can keep the Eighth Commandment, assume the best. Take people's words and actions in the kindest possible way. <laughs> I'm, going to read, uh, I'm going to read a section from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a very famous section. It's about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, always, always, always. That's an important word to remember. Always, always hopes, always trusts, always rejoices in the truth. All right, keep that in mind. Pause right there. Because I'm going to give you an, um, a situation. I want you to tell me what you would think. Imagine you're driving down the road and you're going by a number of businesses. And one of the businesses happens to be a gentleman's club. In case if you don't know what a gentleman's club is, I guess I'll let your parents tell you what a gentleman's club is, but it's a place where people aren't doing very godly things. It's a place that's well known for being a place where people are not doing very good and kind things. We'll just leave it at that for now. But let's imagine you're driving down and you go, you're driving by this gentleman's club and you see your pastor walking out of the gentleman's club. And you know that a gentleman's club is not a place where people are doing godly, good and godly things. What would you think? Hmm. What might you be tempted to think? 
you might be tempted to think that your pastor was just doing something very not good and godly. And you might be disappointed in him. And maybe you would even be tempted to tell somebody else what you saw. Hey, can you, do you know where I saw our pastor today? I saw the pastor here in this particular place, and I don't think he was supposed to be there. And then you go and tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else, and soon enough, people confront the pastor. Say, what were you doing outside, you know, what were you doing walking out of this place? We know that you were inside of it. It's not a good place. And you came out, what were you doing? And then he tells you, he says, well, my, uh, my family was having a family reunion. My family was coming from all over the country. And I have one uncle who hasn't gone to church in a long time. And we've all been very concerned about him. We've all tried talking to him about his faith, about the Bible, about Jesus. And we knew he was going to come to the family reunion. And so we all thought this would be a great opportunity to encourage him to get back into church, to remind him of how beautiful the gospel is and remind him that God loves him and forgives him. And so we were all looking forward to spending time with him at the family reunion, but he, uh, he, he must have gotten word that we were planning on talking to him about this because he never showed up. The family reunion we were hosting at a local park, and we were all there except the, except the uncle, and he didn't come to the park. But we knew he had been in town. We knew he was in town. And so, he tells you, so I drove over to the hotel where my uncle was staying. And I looked for him there, but I didn't find him there. And I went to the front desk and I described what my uncle looked like and said he was staying there and said that I was, said I was his nephew and, and said that, uh, and asked, have you seen him? And the person at the desk says, well, yeah, I did. I, about, about an hour ago, I saw him walk across the street into that gentleman's club. Why do you think he walked into the gentleman's club? Among other reasons, probably thinking, well, no one's going to follow him in there. Certainly not a pastor. So then the pastor tells you, then I called a buddy of mine who is also a pastor. And I explained the situation and said, my uncle is in there. And I think this might be my only opportunity to remind him of the gospel. And so the pastor tells you that he, he, called, his, he called his friend to come over there and, and asked him if he would be willing to walk into that club to go and get his uncle and take him out. To do that with him so that he would have a witness somebody else who would, be, who would be able to say that he wasn't going in there for the wrong reasons. He was going in there for a very good reason. And so that's why you saw your pastor walking out of that gentleman's club. And you probably saw that he wasn't alone. That he had one friend and, and an uncle walking out with him. Now that was a, a tough situation for that pastor to be in. And he did the best that he could. But assuming he was doing the best that he could is the place where God wants us to start when it comes to what we believe about others and what we certainly what we say about others to other people. Going back to 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, love does not dishonor others. It would have been dishonorable to share what you thought happened with other people when you didn't know for sure what had happened. Even though it looked bad, it's possible that there was more to the story. And of course there was. You know, love rejoices with the truth. You have a responsibility there to find out what the truth is in every situation, even when things look really, really bad, to make sure you do your due diligence and let me find out what the truth really is so that I know the full story before I start sharing little bits of the story that may or may not be true. And then, of course, love always does some things. It always protects the reputation of the people we know. It always trusts, even when we don't have all the info, 
but always hopes for the best. This is one way that we keep the Eighth Commandment. And one way that we put love into practice. We take people's words and actions in the kindest possible way, give them the benefit of the doubt. And if it turns out that he was in there doing something immoral, then after you have discovered the truth, then you deal with it. But those are different ways to keep the Eighth Commandment. A third way, well, this is what happens when somebody does do something wrong, and that's the truth. Matthew 18 tells us, if your brother or your sister sins, so now if you know the truth that they have sinned, go to them, point out their fault, just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, you have won them over. Point out their sin, not to shame them, but to restore them. Show a person their sin so that they repent instead of gossiping about it. We see Jesus put this into action with Judas. If I were to ask you what you know about Judas, the disciple, I'm guessing it wouldn't be much good. <laughs> Judas is the one who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He's the one who eventually hanged himself because he was so overcome with guilt for what he did. The night that happened, just go back to the night that that happened. Monday, Thursday, Jesus is getting together with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. But Jesus did something different. He, he washed their feet. And Judas was there. So G Jesus washed the feet of Judas, knowing, knowing everything that Judas was going to do. He washed his feet. And then, based on what we can piece together about who was sitting where, it seems that Jesus wanted to sit right next to Judas. His disciple John was on one side and Judas was on the other side, likely. So Jesus was sitting right next to him, like a friend would. And Jesus served him. Served him food, after washing his feet, after sitting right next to him. And then while he was sitting next to him, he warned him. He said, guys, one of you is going to betray me. So he's, he's starting to try to open Judas's eyes. And then he warned him severely after all the disciples said, it's not me, it's not me. And even Judas said, well, it's not me, you never do that. Jesus said, you know, it would be better if this person had never been born. Not in a, it seems, not in an antagonistic, like, shame on you kind of way, but in a, boy, there are, there are consequences to sin. Really severe, eternal consequences. And then Judas left. And then they meet up again in the garden, where Judas kisses him as the sign of the one they were supposed to arrest. And Jesus looks at Judas he just says, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus was trying to protect Judas, save him. He was loving him. He was trying to get him to repent. When he knew how it was going to turn out, he knew what Judas was going to do. He knew for certain. No one had more reason to ever speak badly about a person than Jesus had to speak about Judas. And yet Jesus loved him and even protected his reputation in front of the other disciples. No one has more reason to speak badly about any one of us than Jesus. And yet he doesn't. He loves us. He loves us. He protects our reputation. He wants us to remember what our reputation is. That by his sacrifice, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, we are children of God.
That's what he wants us to know. The Eighth Commandment is about helping others know that same thing. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? Martin Luther's explanation is this. We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, take his words and actions in the kindest possible way.